You are listening to the Process for Profit podcast. We are here to help you, the creative small business owner, put more efficient operations into your business to increase your profit and impact. We're going to give you the systems to create a solid foundation in your business to allow you to build your empire. Hey there, I'm Brittany Dixon, systems queen and process for profit strategist. You're going to hear about solutions and strategies that allow you to make a bigger impact doing what you love instead of wasting hours doing what you don't. Come on in and let us organize your overwhelm so you can get back to your zone of genius. Hey guys, welcome back. So today we're going to be diving in and giving you some tips for building your business with virtual assistants and helping us is Nathan Hirsch of Outsource School. Nathan, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, Brittany, thanks for having me. Should be fun. Yeah, absolutely. So we actually connected over social media and just kind of chatted a little bit and have lots in common with systems and processes and things. So Nathan's actually the co-founder of Outsource School, which is a company working to educate entrepreneurs on how to effectively hire and scale with virtual assistants through formulas, playbooks, systems, and all the things. So you can read more about him and his bio in the show notes, but Nathan, why don't you dive in and tell us a little bit more about your story? Yeah. So I was actually a a long time Amazon seller. I started selling on Amazon when I was in college. I was looking for uh, extra money and I started off doing it with uh, textbooks. And from there, actually got a a cease and desist letter from my college telling me to to knock it off and stop competing (laughs) with their bookstore, which led me down a weird path of doing trial and error on Amazon to see what else I could get to sell. Well, one day I figured out that baby products were incredibly profitable on Amazon. And I started to build relationships with different manufacturers that would drop ship all these different um, strollers, car seats, stuff like that for me. And before I knew it, I was selling a hundred thousand dollars, eventually millions out of my college room. And I had to start hiring people out of necessity. It was too much for one person to handle. So I turned to college kids and the people around me and they turned out to be pretty unreliable. I I tried hiring people in the US and no one really took me seriously as a 20-year-old entrepreneur. So that's how I got into the virtual assistant space. A buddy of mine told me about VAs. I hired my first one, my second one, had some good experiences, some bad experiences, but I did see it as a solution that, hey, if I could figure out how to hire VAs effectively, then I'd be able to build a team and scale my business and actually create systems that don't rely on me. So I spent years coming up with this hiring process. And finally, when when I figured it out, and it's the same process we do now at Outsource School, I ended up selling over $25 million on Amazon. I started a a second company called FreeUp that we scaled to eight figures and we were acquired, which is a whole nother story we can get into. But um, that's really why I'm so passionate about teaching other people because it, it really changed my whole business trajectory. Yeah, that's amazing. So you had said that you did it out of necessity. So how do people know it's kind of that right time to start hiring when they're kind of overwhelmed? Like what are some of those things that they know that they need to start bringing on help? Yeah. So my mentality is always, and I learned this the hard way, is you're never going to hire people on the exact right day that you're supposed to hire people. You're either going to hire people too early or too late. And if you hire people too early, especially if they're virtual assistants, maybe you haven't proved your business model enough or or something like that, but you're really talking hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars. It's it's probably not the the biggest mistake you'll ever make. 
although that can mean different things to different people. But the opportunity cost of hiring too late can be huge. I remember my first busy season with the Amazon business, I was doing everything myself. I could have hired people. I could have prepared better. And because of that, I missed out on hundreds of thousands of dollars on just orders I couldn't fill because I couldn't work anymore um, myself. So to me, the opportunity cost is it's always more than, than the small amount of money you could lose, which is why I, I encourage people to, to hire on the early side. Yeah, sure thing. So um, you said you were kind of doing everything. You were wearing all the hats. How do you decide once you've decided you want to start bringing people in, how do you decide what you're going to take off your plate first? So we like to create two lists. The first list is everything we know how to do already, things we, we have systems for. And we try to prioritize that list from easiest to hardest and start at the top of that list, chipping away, seeing how far down we can go before we have to build out systems more. The second list is all the things that, that you're not good at, but you have to do for your business. This could be your website, your logo, run Facebook ads, whatever yeah. it is. And that's really where you start hiring people who are specialists or people that are experts where they come with the systems, they come with the process, they come with the strategies, which is a whole nother way to hire. Yeah, I've definitely seen that in a lot of businesses. They're taking on a lot of that stuff that they're not good at just because they think they have to, but it takes them so much longer than if they would just hire a specialist and bring someone on. Exactly. I mean, we like to divide up hiring into followers, doers, and experts where followers are, are the virtual assistants. They're there to follow your system, your process, even though they, they could have a lot of experience. The doers are the, the graphic designers, the writers. You're not teaching a graphic designer how to be a graphic designer, but they're not consulting with you either. They're there to do that one thing. And then you got the experts, the high-level consultants, agencies, what bringing their own system, their own process, their own strategy. And as you go through your entrepreneurial journey, you're going to have to figure out, hey, when do I need the followers? When do I need the doers? And when do you need the experts? Yeah, I've actually never thought about that, but I love those three categories because it is there's a lot of overlap, right? Like maybe one of the people that you hire kind of falls into all three and they like to do high level, but they also like to do stuff. But you've got to kind of categorize that and make sure that the right people are doing the right things for sure. Yeah. And these are real people that they don't always fit into perfect categories, but yeah. <laughs> as a, an entrepreneur, it, you want to make sure, Hey, am I, am I trying to hire a follower? Am I, do I know, do I actually have systems or you don't want to be like, Hey, I don't know how to run Facebook ads. Let me hire someone for five bucks an hour and say, Hey, yeah. go run my Facebook ads. That's not going to work out too well for you. Yeah. So kind of diving into that. So we're obviously all about systems and processes here. I would love to learn about your kind of four set processes process for interviewing and onboarding and then training and managing and maybe some of those mistakes in those different stages. Yeah. So we call it our IOTA method, interviewing, onboarding, training, and managing. And there are some steps you, you even do before the interviewing, like understanding the different levels, creating the, the two lists we talked about, uh, figuring out your, your budget is a big thing that you want to do before you even start interviewing. We have a, a VA calculator on Outsource School uh, to help people do that. But once you actually get to the interview stage, we like to focus people on what we call our care interview process, which is communication, attitude, red flags and experience where a lot of people just interview for experience. What have you done? Who have you worked for? What are your references? For us, that's one part of the equation, but we want to make sure that the person can communicate at a high level, especially if they're non-US, that they can understand what we're saying, that vice versa, we can get on the same page quickly and they have the right attitude. They don't just care about money over, over everything else. They care about growth and self-improvement and being part of something off of that. We like to do all of our interviews via Slack, uh, unless it's some kind of sales role or something that actually involves voice calls. And that allows us to vet communication as we go. 
But the biggest key for interviewing is you want to be looking for the red flags. What is this person saying that shows me they don't have the experience they say they do, they don't have the communication skills I need, or they don't have the attitude I want? Too many entrepreneurs, they're looking for the right answers, which can be BS. You want to be looking through for the wrong answers throughout that entire process. Yeah, that's super smart. So you kind of touched on communication a lot. How, like, what is the best way to set up that strong communication? Once you've brought somebody on, you know what they're doing, you made sure that they've kind of fallen through your system and everything is good. What does that communication process look like? Because I think that scares a lot of people, especially VAs in the Philippines or overseas, making sure they have a strong communication in place. Yeah, and this is kind of this kind of falls into the management section. So we set up three communication channels. We got Slack, we have email, and then we have an emergency channel. And the key here is you want to make sure people are using the channels the right way and you want to correct them early on. So when a virtual assistant's working, they're on Slack. They post when they start, when they stop, when they change tasks, when they have questions. All our meetings are on Slack and one in group chats for that. So so that's for day-to-day communication. Emails are for responses within a business day. So if something's urgent, if I need something done right now, I'm not going to fire over an email to someone that I'm going to send them a Slack message. And I've seen that too many times where clients will only communicate with their VAs via email and it's just not an effective method to do it. And then finally, an emergency channel, it could be connecting with them on social media. It could be Viber or WhatsApp, which are free texting tools. But these are really for emergencies only. If something happens on the weekends, if they need to get a hold of you and I'm going on vacation, something like that. But at the same time, if someone's constantly vibrating you at seven o'clock on Fridays <laughs> over something that's not important, you, you want to correct that. And you also don't want to abuse that either. I've seen clients who will just viber their VA over every little thing at any time. And that's not really what it's for either. Yeah, no, I think, and I think that's part of the onboarding process, right? Like setting those boundaries, making sure the communication lines are set in place. Everyone knows which channel they're supposed to be posting on what. And if they kind of get away from that course correcting and making sure that they get back, because I, I see that a lot. I see the, the Voxers and the WhatsApp and the Facebook messages and emails and Slack and like doing it way too often, not in the right way. And then things start slipping through the cracks too. Right. And I never want my VAs to feel like they're on call 24 seven. I, I just had a conversation with my new sales VA who takes client potential client calls for outsource school. And I said, Hey, like people connect with me on social media. I might create a group chat on social media with you and a client. Like don't feel like at all hours of the day, yeah. <laughs> you just have to drop what you're doing and respond to that message. Just respond within a business day, like a, a normal business would and, and everything's good. Yeah, that's I I 100% agree with that because I don't think people should be working after hours in any capacity. So <laughs> do you feel like you're spinning your wheels in your business that you sit down to start your day and before you know it, it's 5 p.m. and the day is over and you just don't know what you accomplished only to do this day in and day out? You're throwing spaghetti at the wall. You have no routines, no strategy, no systems in place, and you're working 17 hours a day. If this is you, you need to check out our free masterclass now. How to work smarter, not harder, and double your revenue will give you the clarity, confidence, strategy, systems, and support to get stuff done without the overwhelm and without working 17 hours a day. Check out our free masterclass now at b.link forward slash training to learn how to work smarter, not harder. So you talked about a lot of different systems, a lot of different things. So what if you have more than one virtual assistant? How do you hire for that? Should you have more than one? How do you manage more than one? What does that kind of look like when you start adding more and more assistants to your, to your team? 
Yeah. So when we sold FreeUp and we had no office, no US employees, it was me, my business partner, Connor, and 35 virtual assistants in the Philippines. But we don't want 35 virtual assistants all reporting to Nathan. That gets a little yeah. bit crazy. Yep. <laughs> so we, we set up team leaders and we set up assistant team leaders. And you also don't want to put yourself in a situation where you wake up one day and say, hey, who, who's the team leader? Who do I put in charge here? And another factor to keep in mind is hiring internally, in my opinion, has always better than externally. It's not always possible, but it's always preferred. Hiring externally is more expensive usually because you have to get them from another company. And then you're not actually going to know whether they're any good until you actually train them on, on all your processes. And even then, then you're going to all your people that have been there longer and said, by the way, this new person's now your boss. So can be done. It, there's just a lot of different factors that, that make it harder to do. So you want to promote internally, and you don't want to wait. You don't want to not know who to promote. So what we figure out, what we try to do early on is give virtual assistants ownership of their tasks, of the standard operating procedures, even if that task is super small, even if they're the only person on the team, because we can tell from how well they improve the standard operating procedure. We can tell by how how well they take ownership of the tasks and try to improve it and make it better and, and not continue to pull me or my business partner in. Those people end up being the best team leaders. And then it comes down to having a conversation with them to see if they even want to be a team leader because not everyone does. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you touched on a couple important things there. You have to have SOPs in place before you bring in your your virtual assistants, right? I think a lot of people don't have the system figured out and don't have the processes out that then they try and bring in a VA and they think it's a VA problem when it doesn't work, right? Like those SOPs are crucial to bringing in people. Yeah, it's really the key to our business. I mean, it, even going a step higher. Like if we went to sell our last company and they said, Hey, how does customer service work? We said, Oh, right. don't worry about it. Like Jane and customer service, she knows how to do it. Like they're not buying that company. If you, if you want to make a business that's scalable, that runs without you, that uh, allows you to hire people quickly and, and onboard them, you, you need standard operating procedures. And I, I always call it the, the training trap because what a lot of entrepreneurs will do is they won't have an SOP. They'll hire a virtual assistant. They'll train that virtual assistant one-on-one -on -one for a week. But then at the end of the week, the VA doesn't really get it. And then yep. the entrepreneur is in a really tough spot. Do they start all over again and, and lose an entire week of their of their year? Or do they give the VA another week of one-on-one -on -one training and then they're two weeks in? And what if the VA yep. still doesn't get it? So you, you kind of just get stuck there. You, you need a good SOP where you can have the VA prove they know understand the SOP. And if they get 80% of it, great. Do one-on-one -on -one training, make your SOP better, get them that last 20% but you don't want to be doing one-on-one -on -one training every time you hire someone. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So now we're looking at hiring people. How do you decipher between American VAs and hiring on Fiverr and hiring from the Philippines? Like where do you find people? What's the best way to go about that? Yeah. So I primarily hire out of the Philippines. Uh, there's a bunch of reasons here. I mean, here's one of the factors when it comes to, to pricing. So you hire someone from the US, let's say you hire them for 15 bucks an hour, which isn't a low rate. It's not a high rate. It's a decent rate. How long are they really going to be happy with 15 bucks an hour? Let's say right. best case scenario, you train them. They're a rock star. They're really good at their job. Eventually they're going to want 18, 20, 25, whatever it is. And, and then you just have a tough decision to make again. Do you start all over or do you drastically overpay for that position? Or it might make sense for your business. It's just something to, to keep in mind. The other thing you want to avoid, especially if you're new to hiring VAs, is hiring two people from India, two people from the Philippines, two people from South Africa. It just adds a lot of extra work to your plate. There's going to be culture differences. You're going to have to get them to work together. There's time zones. 
So it makes sense to start with one place, at least until you get your foot wet. And the Philippines is just a fantastic place to start. Uh, they speak English at a high level. They're work, used to working U.S. hours. Uh, they're all about family, which is something that's very important to our culture when you're building a team out. And, and I could go on and on, but yeah. I, I like to hire from the Philippines and I'm also biased. I, I built the free up marketplace. So I recommend checking them out. Yeah, for sure. So I guess what are the top mistakes you see when people go through these processes that you just talked about? You just talked about some different things with interviewing and onboarding and training and managing. What are the biggest mistakes you see when people are outsourcing? Yeah. So we talked about the care interview process. We talked about SOPs, which fall into training. We talked about team leaders, which falls into management. The the biggest mistake that I actually see is the onboarding, which a lot of people missed. We kind of skipped over it, but it's a number one way to prevent virtual assistant issues. And whenever someone comes to me and they say, Hey, my VA is falling off a cliff. They're not working out very well. They're not doing what they said. I always ask them how they onboarded the VA. And that's usually where the issue is. Right. (laughs) (laughs) We call it our sick onboarding method, which is schedule issues, communication, and culture. And we spend an extra 20 to 30 minutes after the interview before we start the training, getting on the same page with expectations across the board, making sure they're good with their rate, they're good with their schedule, they have backup plans if their computer breaks, if their internet goes out, they understand how how important communication is and, and what our culture is like and how we don't work with people if they're not a good culture fit. And th- this 20 to 30 minute meeting can save you hundreds of hours down the line and at the end of that meeting, we give the virtual assistant a chance to back out because we'd much rather the VA yeah. says, hey, your expectations are too high. They're not in line. I, I don't want this job anymore, whatever it is, than for us to have an issue pop up in, in two months. Yeah, I think onboarding is a big issue in that space, but also client onboarding, right? Like it's the same thing. You have to set the expectations and the communication. Like onboarding is a huge piece that I think so many people miss in all areas of their business. And I think it's super, super crucial to have a really great onboarding process. I love all your guys' acronyms, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. But yeah, onboarding is a big thing that I see a lot of people running into. So with all of this, do you have favorite tools or software to help you be more efficient with all of your SOPs and processes and systems? So we actually built our own software called Simply SOP. You can go to simplysop.com and it's a cool tool for creating and sharing and updating both video and text SOPs. It's meant for virtual teams. If you join Outsource School, you actually get it for free included there. Outside of that, I mean, we keep it very, very simple. I mean, we were running an eight-figure business with Skype, Slack, Zoom, Trello, Google Docs, this was before we built Simply SOP. Like, like yeah. none of those things are, are very expensive. So yep. for, for us, we like to keep it very basic, very affordable, very lean, but still make sure that there's strong communication, strong accountability across the board. I love that. Do you guys have like productivity hacks within your business? And I guess how involved are you still in the business now that you've got this whole team of assistants? Like what is your role kind of in that? How do you stay productive throughout the day? Yeah, so free up was acquired, so I'm completely out of that. Outsource school, we're in month like seven or eight, so I'm kind of still in that that startup phase. We have a team of VAs; they're doing sales calls, onboarding calls, stuff like that. But I'm still there, building out a lot of the systems and processes that all the stuff that that comes in year one. Uh, sorry, what was the second part of that question? Just productivity and how uh, you get yes. stuff done throughout the day. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, it's about setting up the ideal day. 
this is something I learned about a year and a half ago where I, I wrote down, Hey, I like from seven to 9 AM. That's when I'm most productive, whatever the most productive thing in the day is I'm going to get that done right when I wake up. Then I like to work out from nine to 10, get away from my business, away from my computer, come back, maybe have another hour of somewhat productivity, do one podcast a day, Monday through Friday. I, I don't, do more than one recording. And then in the afternoon and from that noon to three o'clock, that's when I do phone calls. I don't have to be in my office. I can walk the dogs. I can be outside. And then my day ends around three. And so 95% of my days look like that. I figured out that's most productive for me. But other people, I I know people that are most productive from like 2 a.m. to 4 a.m., which is (laughs) fine, but you better make sure you're maximizing that every single day. So that's kind of my hack is is figuring out your schedule. And then I also have a VA that schedules all my stuff that, that keeps me accountable to that schedule. Yeah, I think a lot of people get in the cycle of like, they feel like they have to join the 5am club and get up and do the things in the morning and the workout and like follow the schedule that everyone follows, but it doesn't work for everybody. So I love that you've kind of like shifted that and figured that out. And I've done the same thing. I have my BCO bucket. So I have business development, client services and operations. Like I try to divide out my time and have like an ideal week mapped out of when I'm going to be working on those things. And I've kind of maximized the same way you have. And a lot of it is really just scheduling and discipline for sure. Yeah. And, and figuring it out, it takes tweaking. Oh, <laughs> like, for what, sure. Oh yeah. And, you got to change it constantly. <laughs> yeah. When I was in college and running a business, there's no way I was waking up at 7am. <laughs> yeah, no. And I'm still not a 5am club. Like I, I'm not going to join that. I like my sleep and I'm going to get up and then I'll be productive during my time. So, <laughs> um, so with this crazy year, right, where do you kind of see this freelance gig economy heading over the next few years with everything kind of going virtual and all of that kind of thing? Yeah. I mean, I think for entrepreneurs, it just becomes a necessity. If you're not hiring virtual assistants and utilizing freelancers, your competitors are, and you're just missing out on on what becomes a competitive advantage for them. I think that... I think we were kind of going in this direction even before Corona. Yeah, where more sure. people were going remote, uh, remote, but I think coronavirus really just accelerated it. And now we're seeing gyms and restaurants and yoga studios, all hiring remote, hiring VAs to run their social media, to do their yeah. customer service, do their bookkeeping. And certain businesses still need the, the cashier or the person in their office or whatever it is, but so much of it can get done remote. And I don't see that trend ending or, or going down anytime soon. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, is there anything else you want to cover? This has been super, super helpful. I think that a lot of people are really scared to hire virtual assistants because they just don't know if they're ready. They don't have the systems in place. Um, But is there anything else that would be helpful for our listeners? Yeah. My my biggest tip to to people who are scared or getting into for the first time is focus on getting five hours a week back. That that should be your goal. And if you can get just five hours a week back, it's a small win. You're going to trust VAs a lot more. You're going to learn a lot. Um, But you're also going to make a big dent in your year. That's 260 hours a year. That's about six and a half weeks. You can do a lot with an extra six and a half weeks a year. So focus on that five hours a week first and, and build up from there. I love that. Yeah. I think people think they have to like bring someone on full time automatically. That's definitely not the case. So awesome. Well, where can people find you? Do you guys have any resources that you want to share? Where can people come and follow? Yeah. So go to outsourceschool.com. You can grab a free trial. You can check out all the cool stuff we have there. Uh, feel free to follow me on, on social media, Nathan Hirsch on, on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, whatever you choose. I put out a lot of content about hiring and uh, Brittany, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Guys, we're going to drop everything in the show notes. Definitely go check them out. Go follow him on social and um, check out your free trial. So we'll see you next time.